The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. So good morning. Good to see you all here today, and it's great to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, my name is Fred Noel, one of your pastors, and uh, I was, I guess what you'd say, uh, nicely, kind of a, a high-energy kid. Um, those of you that know me, that's probably not a stretch for you to imagine that, but as the story goes, my mom said, and this just seems kind of weird to me, but as the story goes, my mom told me that uh, when they evaluated kids for um, kindergarten, that they would have the parents and the child come to school with a teacher, and they would have a mat in this room. I picture this mat on the end of like a gym floor, and what they do apparently is just put this kid on the mat and just see what he would do. So I don't know if I, they've never done that with our kids, but that seems kind of weird to me. But apparently, I got on that mat, and I started jumping up and down and, and rolling around and doing all kinds of crazy things, dancing. And my mom and the kindergarten teacher just kind of laughed and uh, looked at each other. And the kindergarten teacher said something like, you know, this kid's going to get everything there is out of life. Well, you take a kid like that, and you let him buy a 185cc three-wheeler when he's 14 years old that can go 55 miles an hour, and it's just, it's just not a safe combo. So fast forward, I'm driving this three-wheeler around in my front yard, and we lived out in the country. Our front yard was probably, I don't know, maybe not quite 200 yards long, maybe a, a football field and a half. I'm riding around with a buddy on the back, and, and we call a friend. He brings his Yamaha over. Well, you get a 14, 15-year-old boys with two machines, what's, what's got to happen? You got to line them up, right? You got to see which one is faster. So he has a 175. I had a 185, and we're lined up. I'm thinking, mine is bigger. I should be faster. I got this. So we take off. What I didn't realize, it's too much information about the engine, but a Honda's four-stroke, Yamaha's two-stroke. For those dirt bike gearheads out there, you know that just means he's going to dust me off the line. So I get going, Marcus said go. We take off. He's five, ten yards ahead of me in no time. And uh, competition came up as one of the top five strengths in the strengths finders analysis for me. So when he's ahead of me, I just got to tell you, I really, really did not like that. So I'm doing everything I can to catch him. And I'm flooring. My hat flies off. We're laughing. We're having a great time. Finally, I catch up to him. I pass him. And I realize pretty quickly I'm running out of front yard really fast. <laughs> On the other side of the front yard is a driveway and my neighbor's brick house. So we're flying along. I go by him. It's, it's like, and there's this realization in this moment of I, gotta, I really got to slow down now. I was so singularly focused on this one race. Uh, it was not a good idea. So I'm trying to get into gear to help slow myself down. I'm in be- I remember being in between gears, and I'm just rolling in neutral way too fast. I get into gear. I hit a bump between my house and my neighbor's yard. And I remember my thumb hit that throttle one more time when I hit that bump. We went over the driveway, through a rhododendron brush, and right into the brick wall. So forks are the first thing to hit. And then I think it was my cheekbone, and then my shoulder, no helmet, Bounced off. So what do two 14-year-old boys do when something like that happens? You pull the three-wheeler off, completely destroying the rhododendron. You shove the branches back in the, in the bush. You pull down to your driveway, and you begin devising a plan how you're going to get out of this. <laughs> so being the good Christian boy that I was, I decided I'm going to lie to my mom. I'm going to put a different shirt on, and I'm going to put a, a Band-Aid on my cheek, and I'm going to tell my mom I hit a bush which is true. I really did hit a bush. So I go home and I tell her that, and uh, she buys it. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, there's black tire tracks on the driveway. There's red paint on the house. Day two goes by. We're all good. We're in the clear, no problem. Day three, the phone rings. 
Yeah, my mom would say, yeah, 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 yeah. Hangs up. Fred Noel, did you hit Naderville's house with your three-reeler? <laughs> like, what do you say? I'm like, yeah, that was me. So nearly split my head. I had to go over there and apologize to her. And she was crying, saying she wished I would have hit the other rhododendron bush because the one I hit was doing so much better. I'm thinking, lady, I almost split my head on your house. It was my fault. But is there any sympathy for my life whatsoever? I got nothing. So all that to say, um, we are in a series called Unbelievable, right? And, and this is um, unbelievable to think that anything from this, this three-wheeler accident at all was good, a near-death experience. I, I don't see anything good coming from that whatsoever. The, the title that we're looking at today is Death is Just the Beginning. And that near-death experience was not good for me. And this is not given... All you adrenaline junkies out there, uh, rights to go out and like risk your life. Not time to jump out of a plane or hang glide over the Himalayas like my wife would like to do. But it's rather a time to focus on living every day the way Jesus would want to. Living every single day like it's the last day of our lives for the kingdom of God. And and to do that, I'm definitely going to need some help. So let's take a moment, bow our heads, and uh, ask the real teacher to help us out. you bow your heads with me, please? Great and good Heavenly Father, I thank you. And uh, I praise you for this opportunity. God, we thank you for your word and the truth in it. We need you, oh God, just to intervene right here and speak to everybody's hearts. Father, we thank you that you've called us to live lives that are much bigger than ourselves. We thank you, dear God, that you've given us a promise of a perfect life for all eternity. And I pray, oh God, that uh, simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. Pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. We're going to be in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39 most of the morning today. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or on your phone, go ahead and do that. If you don't have a Bible, you're visiting with us today, or, or you don't own a Bible, um, there should be a Bible in front of you in a pew somewhere. And I just encourage you to grab that and take it home. That can be your Bible today. We want everybody to have the Word of God. So please feel free to grab that. While you're looking that up, um, I want to... Reach back just a week or two. As we've gone through Romans, um, we have gone through Romans 6, Romans 7, and just talked about the reality of sin in our lives and how we are all sinful. The the human nature we have is is a wrestling with sin. In Romans 7, Paul talked about his struggle with sin and how he does the things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't do the good things that he knows that he should do. And that wrestle with sin is real. Now, we've been set free from the guilt and the penalty of sin. So we live in an already but not yet situation where we're already forgiven and the death of Jesus Christ was all it takes to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. We don't carry that guilt, but we're not yet in that place where we're free from temptation and where we live, which we will be in eternity. And we're, we're striving in our life to get to that place where we understand what grace really is. We have to always be aware of our sin and the gravity of that and our separation of God but also the forgiveness that we have and that, that free grace. And we don't fully experience, you know, none of us are going to be perfect. None of us are going to be sinless in this life until we live eternity, in eternity, in heaven with God when all of our sins are not only washed away, but temptation is gone as well. So let me start with Romans 8, verse 31. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
Read that again. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Even that verse should be like a shot of adrenaline. Can you imagine if we really lived like that? What do you first think of when you come against challenges? When you're, you're, you're living on the edge for Christ and, and you're doing what you think you're supposed to do and, and people in your family or in your workplace are opposing you. Is your first thought, it doesn't matter who opposes me. Is your first thought, if God is for us, who can be against us? What does that matter? Or do you and I cower and turn the other way? Do we start thinking differently? Do our actions show that we don't really believe that it makes no difference? If we truly believe this, what kind of risks would we take? You know, as individuals and, and as a church, we've got a history of taking some big risks here. And I want to continue doing that here at White River. If we believe with all our heart that if God is for us, who can be against us? What difference does it make? doesn't mean we're obnoxious or, or that we're irritating toward other people in that way. But we should have a confidence, right? We should have a strength deep down in our soul that drives us to do great things for God. We should live every day. Like it's our last day, living for Jesus Christ and for God's kingdom. Now, there's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 14 I just love. So the Israelites are fighting the Philistines forever, right? There's this constant battle that's going on, and, and uh, Philistines have some, some victories. Israelites have some battles. It's kind of this pesky enemy that's always out there. Well, Saul and his army are camped out, and I just kind of picture Saul. I don't know why. Just my crazy mind how it works. I picture him sitting under a tree, eating dried papaya or something. Nothing's going on. Nothing's really happening. And so Jonathan, his son, says, you know, I, I can't take this anymore. Let's go. He says to his armor bearer, let's climb that cliff and let's go up there and take, up, take on some of those Philistines. And so his armor bearer says, okay. Clearly he's, he's walking the Lord because he has a clear vision. He tells his armor bearer, if when we're climbing up there and they see us, if they say, stop, or we're going to come down there and kill you, let's stop and go away, go back down. But if they say, coming up here and fight us, let's go up there and fight them. So armor bearer, I don't think in that rank he's got a whole lot of say. Takes his weapons. Jonathan takes his weapons. They climb this cliff. They get to the place where the Philistines can see him. And they say, hey, you Israelites, why don't you come up here and fight us? Give each other the nod. And they go up on top of this cliff to this hilltop. And they kill 20 Philistines in this little battle all by themselves after climbing the cliff. Shortly after that, there's an earthquake. Philistines get terrified. They start killing each other. And uh, I just imagine Saul zipping up his papaya bag, getting his army up and saying, all right, I don't know what happened here, but God is doing something big. Let's get in here and, and take in, take a part of this battle. So in that story, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or few. I seriously want to live that kind of life. I want to live on the edge and take risks for God, you know. When you drive from Indiana to Florida straight through the night, not that I'm encouraging people to do that, but we may have done that a time or two, you have a lot of time to listen to things. Listen to music, listen to, to sermons. I was listening to some sermons, and there were some sermons that were talking about some of the old-time revivals, and talking about some of the prayer meetings and the way the Holy Spirit worked. And in one of those stories, they talked about a young man that went to these prayer meetings, and he wasn't bored with the prayer meetings. He was engaged. He knew God was working, but he just wanted more. He wanted to commit his life and, and his whole heart, his whole entire soul and being to what God wanted. And he got on his knees in this prayer meeting, and he said, Dear God, are my hands clean? He got on his hands and knees. He said, Is my heart pure? Psalm 24 says, Who can ascend 
the mountain of the Lord. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He's on his hands and his knees. Are my hands clean and is my heart pure, O God? Without any program, without any flyers, hundreds of people just by the movement of the Holy Spirit came to that church service that night. And there were lives that were changed for all of eternity. And I just wonder if one or two of you or me would truly believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? What God could do? What has God been whispering in your ear to do for his kingdom? Are you ready to have the courage to be obedient? Are you ready to take that step, to take the risk like Jonathan did, like so many other people that we hear about and we see around us sometimes? But I, I need your, your, your interaction here. All right? I need you to respond with a, a loud Either, either a yes or a no when I ask these next couple questions. If we really believe this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Wouldn't our actions be any different? Wouldn't we have unbridled courage to do amazing things for God? That's pretty weak. Let's do a little bit better than that. Wouldn't we have less fear and anxiety? Wouldn't we go after it? Yeah. We would, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we risk things for God? Why do we not do that? Do we not believe that the God who created the entire universe is on our side? I don't all the time. I get discouraged. I get anxious. But the point is, death really is just the beginning. If we believe that, I think we'll live this life differently. Our words, our actions, our courage, our thought processes, what we believe trickles up, right, to our emotions, what we think and what we end up doing. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Death is just beginning. All right, that's the first verse. I promise we won't stay this long on every verse. We'll be here till 4 o'clock. So let's take a look at the second verse. Romans 8, verse 32. It says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You know, God wants to give us good things. And I don't know if Henry Ford said it. I've heard it attributed to different people. But someone in the past once said or penned the statement, a lot of people say they don't get opportunities. You know, Henry Ford has this great opportunity, and, and uh, you know, people complain, well, I never, just never had an opportunity. And uh, he said, you know, the problem is opportunities come dressed in overalls, looks a whole lot like hard work. So a lot of people just don't take advantage of opportunities. And I think there's a lot of good things God wants us to experience, but we don't step into those. And it takes us to have courage and faith, but also to take steps of obedience and do work. So I think of my, my oldest daughter, Lydia, when she was in high school, um, she did fine in school, had good grades, was, was in some sports, and would always kind of take the bull by the horns. And when she was younger, you know, she's telling her brothers what to do when they're playing. If you don't believe me, we have video to prove this. We have some hilarious videos. You sit there, you do this. Connor's in a dress with a, you know, pigtails. It's, it's pretty sad. So this is Lydia. Well, she knew that she could make some extra money and heard that she could make quite a bit of extra money being a waitress. So at a local restaurant, she went through some training. And I think it was after a long day of track practice and, and uh, you know, difficult class in school. She comes home, and she puts her stuff on a table, and she looks at me, and her mother's behind her, and she says, I'm never going back there. I have to pick up this food. I have to refill these drinks. i got to clean up this table and help the monsters. I'm never going to do it again. So having the mercy I have, really, I, I do feel badly for her in the moment, 
But there's a part of me that's fighting the corners of my mouth from like, like if she sees a smirk, that's just not a good place to be. doesn't help that her mom's behind her going, here's our champion falling apart after doing some waitressing. My wife has said, Years in the past of, of waitressing, it's tough. It's a thankless job. It is not an easy thing to do. Well, we FaceTimed her this week, and I asked her if it was okay to tell her. I wasn't going to ask her, but I, I figured I probably should since I'm talking to her. So I asked her if I could tell that story, and she kind of turned red and said, yeah, it is a good story. Well, she had FaceTimed us to let us know that she just, I'm going to brag about my daughter for a second. Um, she just got accepted with a full ride for her MBA at Notre Dame next fall. So, yeah. So, so she, girl, the girl has learned how to work. That's for sure. But God wants to give us good things. But it's not like he's just going to hand them to us. Right? I mean, we have to step in. And so often, on the other side of obedience comes blessing. You know, I always think of the Israelites coming out of the wilderness and going to the promised land. Jordan River didn't open up until they stuck their feet in the water. The priests were like, all right, we're playing instruments. We're doing the thing. We're praying. Time for the river to get dry. <laughs> It's flooding. Didn't happen until they stepped in. So we have to step in there and, uh, and, take, and take that risk for sure. All right, let's keep going. We're in uh, Romans 8, 33 to 34. It says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You know who the accuser is? Job 2 verse 1 says Satan is the accuser. Inside story here. I read the end of the book. We win. We win. Seriously. The accuser gets destroyed. Listen to this out of Revelation 12, 10 to 12. So then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Because they knew death was just the beginning, right? Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. He caused the death of all accusations, all labels, all separation. He's truly victorious. We celebrate that victory today. Let's look at 35 through 37. It says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have troubles or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So what troubles have you been facing recently? Relational? Your marriage or boyfriend or girlfriend with friends? How about physical health issues? I know I've Prayed for several of you, a lot, a lot of things going on in our physical lives, financially. You know, we can say first world problems, right? But we still have financial stress, emotional. You struggle with emotional problems and, and, and mental illness. Maybe several or even all of the above. And does that mean that God doesn't love you? No. We live in a broken world. And there's troubles in this world. 
And Paul says when we face all these things, does it mean that God doesn't love us? Not at all. He loves us deeply. You know, it was a family that I know that adopted a boy from the inner city years ago. And uh, that young boy had experienced a lot of trauma in his life and uh, they had a lot of behavioral challenges. And that's not uncommon. But uh, they were on a, on a trip one time and they visited the college and they, they had this boy meet with a professor who had gone through a lot of the same things. And he was meeting with his professor and, and you know, pretty disinterested at first and professor finally shared with him some things he had gone through that he thought maybe this young boy had gone through as well. And the boy's eyes, I imagine, got a little bit bigger and he started paying attention. And he looked the boy in the eyes and he said something like, I bet you wonder where Jesus was when you were going through those things, don't you? I bet you didn't feel God loved you during those times. He said, I felt the same thing, the man said. He said, I'm telling you what, Jesus was right there with you going through those same things that you were going through. Those things were done to him just like they were done to you while you suffered through them. He never left you. He walked through those challenges with you, and he's going through the things that you're going through. It's when we, we feel separated from God's love. He's right there with us walking through it. He doesn't want us to go through that. He, he created this earth. He created us to enjoy him, to glorify him in a perfect world, and we messed it up, but it's a broken world that has a lot of those struggles and difficulties now, but he's with us every single step of the way. So be encouraged, and we know that cognitively in our mind that he still loves us, but he's walking every step of the way with you. That's more of a reality to me. I, I think I would face my troubles just a little bit differently. Let's read these last couple of verses. Romans 8, 38 to 39. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God for that. Now I want to say I've walked with several people in this congregation over the last six months, year, through death. And physical death causes grieving and it's not to make light of that whatsoever. That is real we know God's word talks about that. We're comforted during our grieving. There's no doubt that that's difficult. But if we believe that our loved ones have a relationship with Jesus and we really truly believe that they're spending eternity in heaven, that eternity in heaven, that relationship with God and, and the fact that that will be our promise, not just a hope, wishful thinking, that is as real and even more tangible than the stage I'm standing on. If we believe that, we should have some joy and some relief. When they pass and are in heaven, they're just where we wish we could be. They're in that place of perfection. And there's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more sickness. No more accuser. They're in that place of perfection where we truly long to be. He makes it abundantly clear, God does in his word, that he wants us to trust in him every step of the way of this life. And he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You know, I think some of the missionaries of old, so to speak, um, just had some kind of resilience. I feel like I miss. My understanding is they used to pack for their mission trips in coffins. 
in caskets. And whether their time there was long or short, they had decided when they went there, they were there for the long haul. And they were going to commit their lives to these people regardless of what exactly happened. Well, I want to share a story with you that I feel like illustrates that pretty powerfully. The fact that death really is just the beginning. David and Svea Flood were missionaries to the Congo nearly 100 years ago. Sent out by the Philadelphia Church in Stockholm, Sweden, along with Joel and Bertha Erickson, during their first year they didn't see a single convert. The village was resistant to the gospel. Their one achievement was to share the love of Jesus with a five-year-old boy who delivered eggs to their back door every day. Not long after arriving, Svea became pregnant but was bedridden with malaria for most of the time until she gave birth to a baby girl, Ana, on April 13, 1923. Svea died 17 days later. David buried his 27-year-old wife on the mountainside overlooking the village. His grief turned to bitterness. He gave his daughter to the Ericsons. Can't imagine that. He went back to America with dashed dreams and a broken heart, where he spent the next 50 years drowning his sorrow in drink. The Ericsons raised Ana until she was a toddler, but both of them died within three days of each other when the villagers poisoned them. Ana was then given to another American missionary couple, Arthur and Anna Berg, who raised her and eventually returned to America to pastor in South Dakota. After high school, Ana, renamed Agnes and called Aggie, went to Minneapolis Bible College and married Dewey Hurst, who eventually became president of Northwest Bible College. On her 25th anniversary, the college gave the Hearst a special gift, a trip to Sweden. Aggie hoped she might find her biological father who had abandoned her 50 years before. She searched Stockholm for five days, and on the last day, they got a tip that led them to a ramshackle apartment building where they found Aggie's dad on his deathbed in liver failure. The last words David Flood ever expected to hear were, Papa, it's Ana. He said to her, I never meant to give you away. They embraced, and a 50-year curse of bitterness was broken. A father and daughter were reconciled that day. David Flood gave his heart back to Jesus and died a short time later while Aggie and her husband were in flight back to the USA. Five years later, Dewey and Aggie Hurst attended the World Pentecostal Conference in London, England with 10,000 other delegates. One of the speakers was Ruhagita Ndagora, the superintendent of the Pentecostal Church in Zaire. He was from the region where Ana's parents had been missionaries half a century before. After the message, Aggie spoke to him through an interpreter and discovered Ruhagita had grown up in the same village. She asked if he knew of missionaries by the name of Flood. Every day, Ruhagita said, I would go to Svea Flood's back door with a basket of eggs, and she would tell me about Jesus. I don't know if she had a single convert in all of Africa besides me. Shortly after I accepted Christ, Svea died and her husband left. She left a baby girl named Ana, and I've always wondered what happened to her. When Aggie said, I'm Ana, they hugged like siblings separated since birth. Then Ruhugita said, just a few months ago, I placed flowers on your mother's grave on behalf of the hundreds of churches and hundreds of thousands of believers in Zaire. Thank you for letting your mother die so that so many of us could live. David and Svea Flood didn't have a single convert they knew of. They thought it was all for naught, but one seed took root and bore fruit beyond belief. We may never know which seed it will be, but Scripture guarantees that God himself will give the increase. Now, David Flood wasted 50 years feeling like he did nothing. 
But a seed that goes in the ground has to die before it can grow and bear fruit. What has God been whispering to you that you've just, that I've just, that we have lacked the courage to do? If God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. We can do great, powerful things. I just want to infuse by the power of the Holy Spirit courage in your hearts to do it. To go for it. Let's not be cowards anymore. Let's not hold back anymore. Now so often we just don't recognize that even if we don't see fruit in our lifetime for eternity's sake sometimes on this earth death really is just the beginning. Go bow your heads with me please. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for your word. And uh, dear God, I thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. Oh God, I thank you that you do give us the courage to do great things for you. Help us to be obedient. Lord, help us to grab hold of that promise. Trust that we have all the resources, all the power through your Holy Spirit to accomplish whatever it is you put on our heart. As individuals, as a church, God, help us to stop holding back. Thank you, dear God, that death really is just the beginning for the life that you created us to live. But while we're here, help us to live as Paul said. While we're alive, God, help us to commit every day knowing that it's for the cause of Christ and to die is gain. We just get to gain and inherit eternal life. Use us, encourage us, empower us. Pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the last several weeks, we've given you all time to think about a few reflective, reflective questions. And uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, each week is one less question and a little more time. So today, you just have two questions. I want you to really take time, try to put distractions out of your mind. you got a full minute for each one. I just encourage you to take those seriously uh, before we close out the service in just a few minutes. Thank you.
going to close out the service today by worshiping the God that removes all fear, all accusations, from whose love we can never be separated, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to suffer, to die, and to rise again so we can have victory. Let me read out of 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. This is then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us all to go in a time of worship where we celebrate this God that loves us deeply and the victory we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.